So we invest our own experience in it so it's a mirror to us. And the mirror to us right now is this unprecedented situation of not being able to uh, be together physically and of facing an intense amount of anxiety and fear about what the future holds for all of us. Um, so the Torah portion is Vayikra. It is the first portion of um, the book of Leviticus, which is also called Vayikra. And okay, so for those who might want to just get their broadest bearings, Vayikra is the third book of the Torah. And its Greek name, Leviticus, comes from the word for Levite, because the book of Leviticus is occupied with the role of the ancient priests and Levites in ancient Israel. And to modern readers, it can be the most obscure book. Um, but in the context of how the Torah was constructed, um, it's the centerpiece of the Torah because it's the place, it's the book in which the children of Israel learn how to stay connected to God. That's what it's about. And in ancient Israel, they did it through, the, through offerings, uh, usually translated as sacrifices. We're gonna talk about that because the Hebrew word is korban, which as many of you know, means that which you bring near or bring close. So the word sacrifice, which is a beautiful word, right? It comes from sacred deed. Uh, in Latin, it, that's what it means, uh, a sacred act or making something sacred, bringing it into the precinct of God. That's what a sacrifice is. Colloquially, sacrifice has come to mean giving something up, um, uh, which is an interesting sort of... Um, secular uh, uh, interpretation, where for perhaps for our ancestors who, for whom the context of bringing a sacrifice was that it brought them close to God to offer their gratitude, didn't feel like they were giving something up at all, but were perhaps doing something that was necessary in order to gain what they wanted most, which was a sense of connection to the divine. So. Uh, in English, it's sacrifice. In Hebrew, it's korban, which means bring, something that you bring near. And um, uh, oh, I'm just watching new boxes pop up. Um, so what I want to do today, I only took out the first four verses of Leviticus. And Sometimes, as many of you know, you never get past the first word of something while you're studying it. So if you can see the handout that I uh, sent to you, the first word of Vayikra is Vayikra, and yod heh called. And 
you see something anomalous there, right? Look at the Hebrew, even if you don't read Hebrew, there's an Aleph and then a Hebrew word, if you can see the document. Um, oh, I think I'll put this over here. Let me just, uh, yeah, that's better. That's better. Um, so the Aleph is small. There's a tradition in Torah, and again, forgive me if this is old news to you, that there are certain letters in the scribal tradition. Now the Torah, the scribal tradition of the Torah is well over 2000 years old. It goes back well before the common era. And scribal traditions were passed down, teacher to student, te teacher to disciple, uh, through the generations and are known as the oral Torah. The written Torah was the Torah that they were writing. And scribes, is the, the early scribes were also the rabbis. In other words, they were the literate class. They were the keeper of the wisdom, right? This was not a widely literate society. The Torah scroll was, the, was, was, was preciously maintained by the scribal class, who were also the rabbis. And so they, the reason in the Jewish tradition we have something called the written Torah and the oral Torah is because there was literally the written Torah, which they were busy preserving and transmitting. And then there was the oral Torah, which was all of the interpretations that accompanied the written text. The oral Torah eventually, after many centuries, actually got written down. It got so voluminous and the Jewish population of the ancient Near East got so far flung and widespread that collections of oral Torah were put together. The most prominent you know, and central collection of oral Torah is known as the Talmud. The Talmud, which was compiled and finally kind of fixed around the 6th century CE, uh, was a compendium of oral Torah for, from hundreds and hundreds of years of interpretation. And it's known as the rabbinic tradition also. Does that make sense, everybody? Okay. So there's a tradition in the oral Torah. <coughs> in the oral transmission of the written Torah, that certain letters in the Torah are written small and certain letters are written large, minuscule and majuscule. Um, and uh, um, there's this tradition that the first word of the book of Leviticus um, uh, uh, has a small aleph in, its, in the way it's written in the Torah scroll. So I replicated that here in the printed version that I share with you. Do you see it, everybody? Great, great. So one could be a party pooper and say, so they wrote a small olive. It was a scribal error. This is what 
the modern academy loves to do. Oh, it doesn't make sense to me. It must be a scribal error. I can't tell you how many times I've encountered that attitude in academia, um, which I consider to be um, missing the mark completely on what Torah study is supposed to be. No, it's not a scribal error. Let's assume that it was inserted there and transmitted because it bore uh, uh, diverse meanings. That makes it, even if I'm wrong and it's a scribal error, that just makes it a whole lot more fun. And I'm joining into an oral tradition that is the way Judaism transmits Torah, right? So believe it or not, so, you know, when I was in rabbinical school, I saw a small olive and I was learning in a very academic setting and I, and I learned scribal error. And then I, I missed the, you missed like the whole train of Jewish thought and inspiration. And if you do it that way, so it's really a pleasure to uh, take it on its face value, uh, you know, and assume that the scribes, the ancient rabbis were making certain letters in the Torah and it's not that many. Um, I believe it may be no more than 18, which may be significant in itself. Oh, speaking of 18, I have to tell you this. Um, 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 David Schlamm, who comes to synagogue, works with um, the, someone who's connected to the Jungreis family. They're a very prominent Orthodox family. And uh, his colleague in real estate sent him a little video of his eight-year-old daughter giving an inspirational Devar Torah. It's an absolutely charming video. And she says, here's what I want to teach you. Look at the word life. And this is so Jewish. This is what I loved about it. Look at the word life. What's right in the middle of it? If. Oh, that's so sweet. If. You know, there's so much that we don't know. There's so much that's contingent. There's so much that, that's uncertain. That's life, right? And it just, but look at the Hebrew word for life. Chaim. What's right in the middle of Chaim? Yud, Yud, which is the name of God. She said, so in the Hebrew word for life, God's right there with us. Even if, even if we're filled with ifs. And it was just the most beautiful thing. I just thought I'd share that sweet thing that I got from an eight-year-old on YouTube. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you now to either wave to me or raise your hand virtually. Because now, before we start sharing some of the um, traditional, and there are dozens of them, interpretations of the small olive, what, here's the sentence. And God called to Moses and said, from the tent of meeting, and the word called is anomalous. It has a small olive. Meg, um, Gwen, do you want to do the unmuting? Thank you. Perhaps Start small, again, Meg. Start again. I think that perhaps the small olive is to say that there are many things that God will call to Moshe, because this is going to be Leviticus, is so many of the instructions 
And so the small Aleph is to say, this is his first call. Like this is like, you know, Aleph, Bet, Gimel, he's got a list. And so that the Aleph, the first letter of the alphabet is saying, this is his first call. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you, good Torah. Anybody else have a, your own piece of Torah about why the Aleph might be small? Um, uh, Steve? Just a thought, an Aleph is a, a, a silent letter. So in addition to it being silent, it being written smaller, perhaps it's a, it's a way of saying that the calling out to Moses was uh, kind of called out softly was called out softly. Yeah. Let's pursue that one for a minute. Because if you remember, when they're at Mount Sinai a few weeks ago, the mountain is thundering and quaking and the sound of the shofar grows louder and louder and God's voice is in the thunderous clapping of the... And then there's this other famous passage in the book of Kings where Elijah goes to the same mountain and there's thunder and there's um, lightning, and there's an earthquake, and there's a wind, and God's presence is not in any of those things. And then, which is usually traditionally translated as a still, small voice, but can also mean the fine sound of silence. Daka is fine. The mama is silence. And a call is a sound or a voice the fine sound of silence. So maybe, so in other words, we're not gonna come up with the teaching. This is the Torah game. Maybe, uh, Pauline, we'll get you in a sec, thank you. Um, maybe the, the, the God calls to Moses now in a way that Moses, the, Moses maybe Moses' gift is his ability to hear God's voice in the fine sound of stillness and silence, um, as opposed to being hit over the head with it. Um, maybe that's a greater gift than awakening during either a time of, of ecstasy or a time of tragedy, which is often when we awaken to life and say, oh my God, I've been wasting my time or I've been missing everything here. Maybe Moses' gift was the ability to um, discern God's voice, whatever that means to each of us, in the silence. Maybe that's why Moses receives the Torah. Moses, when Moses is at the burning bush, the episode is very clear. It says, Moses was walking in the, with his flock, tending his flock at the far end of the wilderness. And an angel appeared in a burning bush that was not consumed. And Moses said, I must turn aside and see what this sight is. I'm quoting Torah here. When God saw that Moses had turned aside, God called out, Moses, Moses, take off your shoes. So, the, it's clear to me that Moses could have walked right on by. And then the answer is, he's not the one. He, he, he's not paying attention in the way you need to pay attention to get the message. 
that's coming to you. Pauline? Hold on, Pauline. Takes a sec to unmute you. Now, now go. Yeah. Uh, now, I was just going to add, um, I was thinking about last night, I was on a similar Zoom meeting from the, the students and teachers from the OLIVE program. <clears throat> and at the end of the meeting, um, we did some chanting as we did at the beginning. And then instead of, okay. This is what happens. I have to, um, then at the end, we were going to chant again, and we were all going to say Kaddish together. And instead of, when we do something on Zoom, there, there's a delay in the time lab, so it's hard to sing together or do voices together. But Reb Marsha said, Let, let's just all say it from our hearts and all hear each other. And there was such a cacophony of sound. And then when the sound began to stop and that space was held in the silence, it felt to me like the small olive, the way it feels when we're in synagogue and we're doing a davening or we had a wonderful whatever or under the tent. And right after the prayer, which took me many years to learn, to feel the silence of that small olive, because that is the voice we're listening for. And it tells us we can all hear it to some degree, you know, if we keep attuned. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So as I reflect on, oh yeah, Ed, we'd love to hear from you. Marilyn Rosenberg. Marilyn is here too. I know, but your name's Marilyn, so I was telling Gwen that it was Marilyn. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so God speaks to Moses, of course, Moses many times. Maybe this is God calling Moses in a very different way, in a way that says, I'm going to tell you now something that is different, a little deeper, because what's hidden in Leviticus can really be very deep if you can really see it. It's not the same as my other instructions to you. So that was my thinking. Oh, thank you. Well, <clears throat> that relates to the choice of the word Vayikra, which means God called. What are the words, I'm sure some of you know, that are usually used for when God speaks? Vayidaber, God spoke, or Vayomer, God said. Very, very rarely does it say God called. This seems significant enough that the book itself, you know, took the name of that first uh, word, um, God's call. So it's worthy to reflect on what it means to, to, to feel, to what it means and I, to hear the call, right? Uh, and that is not necessarily a verbal conversation. Um, uh, how do we attune ourselves? Whether we, and again, I think most of you know me well enough to know that I'm not talking about uh, a like long distance phone call to heaven. Um, uh, 
this experience that so many humans have in small and large ways, countless times of what they know they need to do next. Sometimes and often, even when it's not what seems like what they thought they were gonna do or what they would prefer to do. Or, but there's a call from central headquarters, whatever that is, where the moral universe lives. And also not just the moral, but creative. The moral and creative source of life exists. Deep within, all around, and when we somehow are graced with the moment where it calls to us, we know we've heard what we must do next. Um, uh, so there's something about Leviticus and its name, calling, not just speaking, that gives it a different flavor. Did anyone else have anything they wanted to say right now? So where my thoughts are going with this first line of thought, is that can we take advantage of our enforced slowdown and isolation to pay attention to listening for the still small Aleph? That seems to be a lesson in today's Parsha for our, our moment. That was one thing I was thinking. Personally, I feel so blessed uh, that I live where I live so that I can take take very long walks right now. I mean, I've taken some really long walks because <laughs> several hour walks I've been taking sometimes uh, when I have the time. And um, if you know me, you know I talk about this a lot. That's where I, that's where my, uh, I can get quiet best. Some people get quiet best when they're sitting still. I'm hopeless. I can get quiet when I'm, as long as my body is occupied. And um, it's a blessing. Now another ask, so that, let, let that be one teaching to carry with us uh, in this time. Now let's talk about the Aleph as the silent letter. The Aleph is understood to be in the Jewish tradition because it has no, it's not ah, it only becomes ah when you put a vowel under it, right? Other, con other consonants, v, m, n, they have a sound huh, that exists that then you add a vowel to in Hebrew and becomes va, vi, vu, right? Aleph does not have a sound unless you, um, even ayin traditionally is a guttural. Uh, uh, so Aleph is the only letter that does not have an actual sound. So the teachings about the Aleph are just legion. I mean, they're so beautiful. Uh, Aleph is understood to be, <clears throat> the voice of God, which then we hear in language, but it precedes and it precedes our translation of whatever that communication is, pure experience, 
you know, how do you want to describe this? It precedes what we do with that immediately because we're human beings, which is we put it into words. Or for artists, we put it into a form. Or that's what we do with creative inspiration. It's what we do with a thought. It's what we do with whatever that is. Aleph is the thought, the impulse, the ineffable something that inspires us into action. Does that make sense, everybody? Meg, would you un unmute Meg? Wait, Meg. Now you're on. I just, I just want to say one thing. Reading the whole Hebrew line just now, I realized that the two other ways of how usually uh, Moshe is spoken to are right in there. Yedaber and Omer. Omar. That's right. God spoke and God said. God yeah, so called. So the first line, what a beautiful thing. The first line of Vayikra says, and God called to Moses and God spoke to Moses and God spoke to Moses from the tent of meeting, God said. Mm, that's beautiful. Well, and take a look. There's this other fabulous ever sort of like it, what a concept is the Ohel Moed. How's it translated? The tent of meeting. This is the Mishkan. This is the dwelling place for God that the children of Israel spent the second half of the book of Exodus constructing. They constructed a place where they could meet the divine. That's beautiful, isn't it? You know, I, I brought... I guess I'll have to open it on my screen. Just one sec. Mm. Excellent. Okay, I think I'm going to share this file with you too, and you can have it for later if you'd like. Did it appear? Shefa Gold Torah Journeys. Yes, it's there. And I've been pasting some of the Hebrew and English text into chat for people too. Oh, how's that been working? Do you see it in chat? Thank you, Gwen. Oh, good. Oh, thank you. So Rabbi Shefa Gold, some of us know Shefa. She's a dear friend and teacher and colleague of mine who wrote a book called Torah Journeys. Um, um, and um, hold on one second. I think I want to share, you can, you can, um, I'm going to read, I'm going to read some of it to you, okay? As we step into the book of Leviticus, we move to another level of spiritual development and pause to take stock of our journey. Genesis can be read as the descent of the soul and its contraction into physical form. It is the story of incarnation. And as the story ends, we find ourselves enslaved in the narrow perspectives of physical reality. Exodus then shows us the path of liberation the awakening of the soul to its true essence. 
which interpenetrates the divine essence. God must find a way into our hearts and we must find a way into the heart of reality, which is God consciousness. The story of Exodus ends with the building of the Mishkan, which is the vehicle for this interpenetration. Through the Mishkan, we learn that our freedom depends on our connection to God and our willingness to make a holy space within us and between us for God to dwell. How can we maintain, sustain this connection, this state of holy freedom? This is the question addressed by the book of Leviticus. So often the complications of life seem to draw us away from the perspectives of holiness. We become alienated, distracted, complacent, blind to what is essential, deaf to the music at the core of silence, numb to the mystery that dwells at the heart of this life. Our daily struggles sometimes close us off from the flow of the great love. The blessing of Vayikra is the call to come into harmony, balance, connection, and intimacy with the God who has freed us for this love. And not only to return, but to establish for ourselves a system of continual returning. Um, isn't that good writing? I really like that. Um, uh, Gwen, why don't you paste in the next uh, paragraph? I think it's really worth continuing to read. The medicine that Vayikra gives us for the disease, the dis-ease of our alienation from God is described in the language of korbanot, the sacrifices. But literally, korbanot means bringing ourselves near again to God. The korbanot were a powerful and effective means of engaging all of the senses, witnessing the power of life and death, and then sharing a sacred meal in the presence of God. The result was experienced as total purification, removal of obstructions and a reconnection to the flow of God's love and presence. And for a long time, this was a spiritual technology that worked well. Hmm. Put in one more, Gwen. Our tradition tells us that prayer now takes the place of the sacrifices. The spiritual challenge of Vayikra is to make our prayer life as powerful, as intense, and as effective as the sacrificial system was for our ancestors. That's Rabbi Shefa's teaching. Uh, can the word of a prayer engage the senses fully? Can we taste it, smell it, touch it, feel its blood, hear its music and the silence within it, witness its passage into the void, see in it the shadow of death and the spark of life, do we leave our prayer feeling purified, our burdens lifted? Our ancestors celebrated their new state of connection by sharing a sacred meal with the priests and with God. After praying in community, can we also make our celebrations holy? Can we eat these sacred meals, our Kiddush and Onik Shabbat gatherings, knowing that each bite of our feast is also tasted and enjoyed by God? I love the way she, when you read about the offerings, after they're offered to God, they are also shared, most of them. Some of them are burnt up entirely for God, but they're shared in a communal meal, which is always how people celebrate 
all over the world. That's what cultures do. Um, and we'll get back to our communal meals. But um, so I love Chefa's teaching. How, when the sacrifice, imagine living at a time when the offerings of our, the best animals of our flock were an understanding of our culture as the way we could get close to God because we brought ourselves near. And then, you know, 2000 years ago when Jerusalem temple, the temple was destroyed in Jerusalem, uh, the, the solution that the Jewish people made was to replace sacrifices with prayer, studying Torah and acts of loving kindness. So ever since then, we've needed to learn how to invest ourselves in internal, internal states, um, rather than have this external experience of a, of a dramatic, uh, oh, someone shared their screen? Thank you. Anyone want to say anything about uh, Shefa's commentary? Okay, so I'll bring that back to the Aleph, everyone. I'm gonna share two more teachings about the Aleph that I love hearing. One is that, uh, more than two. One is that the Aleph is small because the infinite has to somehow, and this is a very Kabbalistic understanding, the infinite has to somehow reduce itself so that it can be perceived by human beings. Uh, in other words, we are limited beings, and yet we have the capacity to taste infinity. And so, the Aleph is God's compassion, the infinite, somehow out of compassion, connecting with the finite soul. I love that one. Another teaching of the Aleph is that Moses <clears throat> is known in the Torah as the most humble man on earth. Moses repeatedly says, I didn't ask for this job. I'm doing this because I was called to do it. I'm not doing it for personal gain. Uh, that is Moses's personality. And so one teacher, I, I don't have my sources with me, says that the small olive is because only someone who is truly humble, who makes themselves no higher than anyone else, who makes themselves, as it were, small. Not, not in a self-denigrating way, but in an understanding of our place in the grand scheme. Moses is not grandiose. It's because of that that God was capable, that Moses was capable of discerning and receiving the call. So we have both infinity 
touching finite souls. We have the need in this, all out of this little olive, we have the need for us to remember that we ain't that special in order to take our place in the chorus of creation so that we can hear our part and play it. Right? We're not conducting the whole orchestra. That's an act of humility as well as an act of knowing to use that symphony orchestra metaphor that your job is to play your instrument because you're playing your instrument as part of a cosmic chorus, right? And you need to pay attention in, with your whole being to, to doing your part well. So it's not that you're humble and therefore worthless. It's a different kind of humility that make, that where you know that you depend on everyone and everyone depends on you. And then there's the teaching about the silence, how to discern, how to make ourselves quiet, how to hear the sound that precedes sound. And then there was this other beautiful teaching that I read. Um, which is that this gets into classic Hebrew wordplay. If it just said Vayikar without the olive, with the olive it becomes Vayikra. But without the olive, it's the word Vayikar. Okay? Vayikar means he chanced. He chanced. He it happened. Kara, kara with a hey in Hebrew is happen. Kara with an aleph in Hebrew is call. So this beautiful teaching is that Moses's greatness was that he could, he could take what was happening to him in his life and not therefore stop there and say, well, shit happens, right? But could say, what's the call in this happenstance for me? Not something grade school like, there must be a divine plan and it'll all work out for the best. That's not what I'm talking about because I don't have enough evidence of that. I do have evidence in my own life that if I look at what happens to me and then I search for the teaching in it for me, uh, my life becomes richer and more meaningful. That makes sense, everybody, right? So that was the final teaching I wanted to share with you today. Not, again, with humility, not with grand pronouncements like, you know, the ones that make me craziest are the Holocaust meant this, or that's like, who am I to say? I, that drives me nuts. But I can say this happened. What is there for me to discern in this, to grow in wisdom, awareness, and love and understand? If we take that attitude, we hear the olive, that little olive, embedded in everything that happens in life. I love that. I love that. 
And it was because Moses had that capacity that he could transmit the Torah to, to the Jewish people. Anybody want to share any thoughts? Pauline, do you want to share? Would you unmute Pauline, Quinn? Yes. Um, so what I'm thinking about so much is what, how important this teaching is for our children and our grandchildren. Because I think that we've had generations now that haven't had to have the test necessarily. Some have of resiliency mm. to the grand scale. And so I can see it in the generations. I can see, at least I can speak for the children I teach, the teenagers that I have, the young adults, and know what their lives have been like. And, and uh, you know, this is important of how we craft words today, that this gives us an enormous opportunity that we don't have to wait till kids are 18 or 13 or 20 or 30 to hear about a small olive and listening. And what is this moment here? What does it teach us? What does it teach us when you don't want to do your homework and I'm making you do your homework, whatever. What does it teach us when I'm making you wash your hands? What, what, listen for your own voice. Are you about to go do this? What, wait a minute, what's the voice gonna teach you? We have to do it young, really young. Ibarti. Thank you, Pauline. Anybody else want to share something? Gail? Gail Albert? Just a second, Gail. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, I think it's important that listening um, for what, where's some guidance here? Where should I be? going what just happened you're still with us don't worry okay um it's not something that we think our way into it's if we kind of get out of our own way and feel it arising kind of from the depths um that's i think where often that olive is sitting that's all it's not an intellectual and pursuit it's getting out of our own way so that we can hear it in a kind of silence in ourselves and in a i think of it often when i'm in the midst of a creative process it's noodling around <laughs> that's right that's right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. thank you thank you joni oh joan's done so can you hear me? Now I can. Okay. For some reason, uh, okay, anyway. Uh, you were speaking of, it's, I didn't take notes of it, but. Uh, this will be recorded and available to listen to again. The example of uh, almost like a silent sound, almost like a sound that cannot be heard. Mm -hmm. And it reminded me of Shabda Brahm, which is the sound of creation but cannot be heard except within you. And it's part of the experience of God. Shabda Brahm. Which, which tradition? In Hindu? In Hindu tradition, in Vedic tradition. In Vedic tradition, right. Shabda Brahm. It was almost exactly like you were describing. 
That's right. Well, there's a very famous midrash about what, I mean, the rabbis also are fascinated <clears throat> with trying to describe an experience that is not a verbal experience. And so there's a beautiful midrash about what happened at Mount Sinai, where they say all the birds stopped chirping, all the animals stopped lowing, the wind stopped whistling, the, everything. And out of that, God spoke with the first Aleph. And so it's a similar silent sound that precedes and also makes possible all of our experience. So we said we'd go till two o'clock and then uh, take some time for both a healing prayer each day and Kaddish. If anyone among us is uh, reciting the mourner's Kaddish in memory of a loved one and wants to have a minion, which we are, a virtual minion. Um, so I wanna bless us all with the awareness to dwell in us, in along with our anxiety, our planning, our all of all the other things that we're doing right now, but to give space to the thought, well, how do I, what is being called on me, called, how am I being called in this situation? And how can these circumstances, the, the happenings, how can these circumstances uh, provide me an opportunity to grow in love, wisdom, and awareness? Because these are the spiritual gifts that are always being presented by life. They're not easy to pay attention to during times of extreme stress. I would say the purpose of our spiritual community would be to remind each other that even now we can grow in awareness and love through the circumstances that face us. And that that's a, that's a good thing because that's what we're here for. Ken Hiratson, Amen. Uh, Gwen, I made a PDF of the Kaddish too, but uh, maybe I should send it to you. Okay, and you'll you'll paste it in. That works better. And next time I'll do screen sharing, uh, which which we'll all be able to see at the same time. Okay. Oops, sorry, wrong wrong button. So if you don't have the cottage at home, this is one way to access. It's a picture, I can't paste it into the chat. Okay, all right, we'll just wing it today. If you can open it, great. If not, you'll stay along with us. But now, 
would you unmute everybody, Gwen? We're not that big a group. Uh, good. If you want to unmute yourselves, we can all be together. There we go. Beautiful. The dog is there. If anybody wants to um, recite Kaddish. The transliteration is in the chat. Thank you so much. So if you want, if you're, who is reciting Kaddish? Gwen and Ed and Nancy. Do you want to say who you're remembering? You, Gail, you're welcome to. Jerome Taub and Michael Tapper. Thank you. Nancy. I, I accidentally did that, but now that you said that I'm going to say Kaddish for the people, all the people that have just passed. Yes, for anyone who might not have someone to say Kaddish now, yes. Ed? I'm uh, saying Kaddish for my brother Arnold. And Gail's remembering her father. Let's recite. Yitzchadal. Yitzchadal. Kaddish. May their memories be a blessing. Let's also do a healing prayer now. Let me just get the, uh, I'll open it up. Where'd I put it? We won't sing now, we'll just do a verbal one. As we extend our hearts to the thousands of people who have this COVID virus, in addition to all others who are ailing, including anyone you'd like to name now. Oh. May their suffering be diminished. May they return to health. May the people who are caring for them, the doctors and health healthcare workers and the nurses, and all the physicians assistants and all of the people working volunteering may the countless good hearts stepping forward help reduce their suffering may everyone reach for their highest self and understand their place in the course of creation so that we don't act selfishly during this time 
so that we can make it possible for the most possible people to heal and the fewest possible people to get ill. And may all those who are suffering, may they recover and let's say, Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And let's just take a few minutes now just to, if anyone wants to chat, you can unmute yourselves and there's something you want to share. Here we are in our little community now. Meg? Oh, I just would like people to, if they have contact with Rachel Gura or Roger Green. Rochelle. Rochelle. Rochelle, I'm sorry. Rochelle, just send them your energy and thoughts. Her mom, they're, they're down here because her mom is in hospice now with pancreatic cancer. Uh, okay, Rochelle Gura and Roger Green would benefit from hearing from you. Thank you. Other good and welfare or anything else people want to say? Wow. Well, I hope this was a, a, a meaningful hour for you. I really appreciate your coming. And uh, tomorrow... Gail, do you want to say anything about what you're going to do tomorrow? I came in a little late, so I don't know what you said about the sacrifices, but oh, uh, these are going to be, yeah, these are meditations. Tomorrow will also be on the weekly Parsha. But Gail does meditations one. on the Parsha. Right. But it's going to be a real way, hopefully, for opening ourselves to the presence of the divine so that we can feel safe no matter what. Doesn't talk about outcome, but there's safety in that presence, no matter what happens. And also guidance. Thank you. And Pauline, uh, your picture disappeared, but- I'm here. Pauline's gonna, Pauline's gonna be uh, teaching on Wednesdays. Yes. Because we're gonna do this one to two hour every day and see what happens. Do you wanna say anything about, you'll be teaching next Wednesday? Um, well, what we're going to do, we're gonna, take a quick look at some of our conceptions of what we're talking about, Hasidism and Neo-Hasidism. And we're going to look at some of the great thinkers of the last century of the spiritual tools that they were out, they were, they have been pulling out of the Hasidic tradition and finding new ways for them to speak to us today. The spiritual tools, some of you know, we kind of practice them at our synagogue, but we're going to look at some of the real tools that help us connect to God in whatever way you conceptualize that name within us and how it speaks to our everyday lives we're living today. Thank you. Beautiful. So um, Gail will be here at one wherever here is, right. here. <laughs> here where we are. <clears throat> Do you want to add something, Gail? Yeah, just that we'll be working starting with the, um, the sacrifices in which we're offering ourselves to the sacrifices. I mean, we are offering ourselves. That's what it always meant. So it's taking off from that. Right, right. The sacrifices were uh, our, our, not substitute, but our... Um, metaphor. Metaphor, our... Uh, for our own offering of ourselves, yes. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. And uh, we'll we'll do our services again tomorrow night at seven thirty and Saturday at ten. And please email me with any feedback uh, that would be of use, um, or just you want to share with me anything at all. Um, I'm certainly available. And Gwen, thank you for stepping in. I was not up for the task. I really appreciate it. 
I would have been fumbling all over the place. But I'm learning. I've been doing a lot of these. Almost always they have somebody else doing the tech. Okay. All right. Great. Good. Okay. Lots of love. Thank you so much. See you Thank soon. You. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Rabbi okay. Jonathan, can I ask you something? Yeah. Can you hear me? I can. Yeah. I got I got a, a, a text message from someone. Grandpa, Nana, I got into Columbia's MFA program for writing and, and directing. And um, so I called back the number and it was your office. And they also sent the text to someone else. I, I, I first I texted them and said, you've got the wrong number. And someone else, I saw someone else's text, a 914 number say, you have the wrong number. And then the person responded, details, details. So I called the number that it came from and it was your office. Oh, uh, that's bizarre. It's very bizarre. You don't know anyone using your phone, do you? No. You know anyone who's gotten into Columbia MFA program? It sounds good. <laughs> that's, I said congratulations, but you know, our, our granddaughter is 15. You're, you're not our granddaughter. Um, Ellen got a call once from an, an older person who was saying, should I bring potato salad or chicken salad to the potluck? And Ellen, <laughs> and Ellen said, Ellen said, uh, I don't think you have the right number. And the, the person who was very elderly said, but should I bring potato salad or chicken? I, I really don't think I'm the right person you meant to call, but should I bring potato salad or chicken? Oh, bring potato salad. Oh, thank you. And that was the end of the call. <laughs> Rabbi, on another note, um, will somebody be um, sending out uh, yard site reminders still? Presumably, uh, I'll go check with the office. Okay, thank you. Uh, I don't know there's no you. reason that uh, function should stop. I'm just not sure if it makes sense for me to read them on uh, at the end of our services because we have so many different people coming online. Um, um, but let's think about that. Okay. Okay. But I'm sure we're sending the notices out. Okay, great. Thanks. Well, yeah. thank you for organizing so so many things that will that are including us totally. I kind of have to say that I feel like this is I this this is this computer this how we interact with this is our new Ohel Moed. Well said. Well said. Mm -hmm. Yes. We're, when this is when all this craziness has passed, we will have a lot of good tools to stay connected. It's a good, that's a good thing. It is. You, you, you and the staff are doing a great job. Gwen, thank you. Thank everyone. Thanks. Well, keep in touch, everybody. Thanks Bye. for joining. See you tomorrow, Gail. All right. Bye, Bye everyone. I'm going to end the meeting now. <laughs>